Blog Talk Radio. Empowered Love with author, self-mastery coach, and relationship expert, Melanie Tanya Evans. Take back your power, heal your soul, and set yourself free. Free through Empowered Love. And now your host of Empowered Love, Melanie Tanya Evans. Empowered Love Radio Show, and I'm sitting up in the mountains in beautiful Chiang Mai, just arrived here last night, and it's just such a thrill to be able to do a Friday show from here, and I'm in uh, Chiang Mai in Thailand, if people don't know where Chiang Mai Mai is, it's um, apparently one of the most beautiful, incredible spiritual hubs in the world, and so far, it's just so picturesque. It's actually it's actually mind-blowing how beautiful it is up here. And I'm doing a Thriver show today, and I've got a lovely lady with Marie who wanted to share her story, who was very passionate about sharing her story. So, Marie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's so lovely to have you. And then, Marie... You know, I had a, a little bit to do with you. We were in the NARP Facebook group uh, together. That was before the forum days, before the forum opened up. And uh, you're now becoming a moderator in the forum, which is just really, really lovely that you can really pave it forward and keep it going. And um, Marie, like so many of us, really did, did have quite a journey. And I think that's yeah. why... Yeah, your story is just so good to share with people that think at times, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm getting here, I'm really having to battle through. And Marie has five children, which just blows me away, really. (laughs) Blows me away, too. (laughs) I don't know how you do that. That's just... It is. It's amazing. So, Marie, can you describe your narcissistic experience and what happened to you? Um... My narcissistic experience was, of course, like many, very traumatic. Uh, the most educational experience I've ever had in my life, um, you know, comparing to any um, college or academic experience, this has absolutely been my most um, educational experience. Um, I was raised by, just to put it in perspective, I was raised by an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. My mother, I've always defined as very codependent, although she may possibly be a narc as well. Um, I was molested by my oldest brother for several years. And even yet, I would still say my most traumatic experience were the years I spent with um, the narcissist. So... Um, I had become probably my most primitive state of being um, by the end of my relationship, which um, having lived with him lasted all of about seven years. And um, I had gotten to the point where I was just a hollow shell of a person, um, just barely functioning day by day. Um mm. That was my experience in a nutshell, if so to speak. 
Did you leave him or did he leave you? I left him uh, by the grace of God Almighty. Um, I didn't, I had actually announced that I was done with the marriage and that I didn't know how or when, but I would leave. And it took a year and a half after that announcement. Um, and it was somebody, I don't know who, Child Protective Services, and um, they had threatened removing our children from our custody and said, I begged, I just begged and begged and begged for them not to, and that I had an exit plan, and that I just needed to figure out how to put it in action. And um, somewhere out of the blue, I got a vacation check from my job that I was not supposed to get. And that I put down on an apartment, and I had moved out on Christmas. I literally went to my mother's house to celebrate Christmas without him, and and called him and told him I wasn't coming back. So wow! So that was it, really like it, divine intervention. Oh, I I no doubt, no doubt. Um, tons of divine intervention. There was a lot of prayer. For a long time, because I just couldn't see a way out, I I couldn't figure it out. I lived on, I worked, but I made very little money, and um, literally my prayers were, I can't say I need your help, and um, next thing I know, I have the sheriff and CPS on my door, <laughs> and you can't scream any louder than that to get out. Oh, so wow, yeah, that. Huge. So, after the narcissistic experience or even during it, how did you end up yourself? Um, well, um, I had moved out into an apartment and um, I didn't know it, that I was very codependent. And I had fallen into every codependent trap there is no mankind. Yeah, can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Hello, Marie, have we got you? We'll just have Marie drop and that's cool, we'll get her back. Here we go. Hello. Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. okay. Good. So I was just saying, um, yeah, can you just elaborate on those codependent traps where you were, how you were? Um, yeah. Um, I felt like I broke free like a caged animal and I was making up for a lot of lost time. I was clinging on to any friends um, or family in any mind this, you know, day. And um, I was inviting people in that just, I had no respect for boundaries of my own. I didn't even know what that meant to have boundaries. I was welcoming in advice that I shouldn't have listened to. I had actually even looked up on Facebook or any social media, I was looking at past relationships um, to, you know, 
apologize for maybe offenses that I had done and just catching up on old times, which was a big no-no. Um, I did leave those relationships for good reasons. And um, I had just just reached out to people and not really um, evaluated whether or not these were toxic individuals myself um, at all. And so I had invited a lot of trouble and drama into my life that didn't need to be there. Instead of focusing on my three very young children and healing and recovering and, you know, discovering who I am as a person. Yeah. Yeah. So had it been that you hadn't been alone um, a lot of your adult life? Because I know for a lot of us, initially when we go through those narcissistic, devastating endings, that we do feel like we need somebody, right? Yes. 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 I am the baby. Yeah, are you there, Doug? Okay, I got you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I am the youngest of three children in my family. Um, my family was a military family, and so we spent a lot of our time overseas or in other states away from, um, you know, our our extended family, away from the bulk of our family, and so. I literally was alone a lot as a child and um, left my own vices, if you will. And so um, I didn't like that. It wasn't comfortable to me. Um, And so I had obviously never developed really my own identity um, at all. Um, And so as an adult, I didn't know who I was. Who I was was whoever other people thought I was. That's perfectly um, spread. Yeah. Yes. Perfectly. And so I didn't, I mean, to this day, you know, what is my dream or if I could go anywhere on the planet or be anything I want, it's still a very difficult question for me to answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, uh, you know what, we start getting our answers by realizing that we don't have an answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right? And realizing that, hey, hang on a minute, I, I can relate to that totally. I'd never be doing today what I'm doing. No right. way if I hadn't developed me in her identity because I didn't, it was nebulous. I, I didn't, yeah, I think you're, you're explaining this really powerfully. You really, really are. Okay, so so emotionally, obviously so many of us know that whole, that whole emptiness and we just, we don't know how we're going to function, we don't know who we are. So what did you what sort of things did you try to do to get well? Oh wow. Um I tried um another I tried another anxiety and stress program. I tried um lots of different vitamin supplements, um yoga, and I loved all those things. Um and I did see some improvement, but there was definitely still something inside me that was just making me a nervous creature and seeking out drama to take my mind away from it. Um, I had obviously tried to be around other people or constantly fill my day with things to do, um, people to talk to, places to go. The idea of just being home and staying home, doing nothing, 
um, was nerve-wracking for me. Um, so I just constantly tried to fill my schedule with just things to do and, and people to talk to um, and just focus on my children, which is a healthy thing to do, except building your identity around them is not. Um, I am an individual. Um, that's where I really still feel I'm, I'm working is to find out what kind of individual, what, what, who, who is Marie is where I still am, but I'm not afraid of it anymore. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I, I love yoga and supplements too, and we talk a lot about them in the forum and between ourselves, you know, survivors and thrivers talk about that a lot, and it, it is really important. I love it as supplements too. I think it's, it's an incredible thing to do. Yes. Mm. Yes. I, I see a huge difference with, you know, nutritional supplements um, combating depression, but when you got to where, you know, I was taking these same supplements, very good supplements, and they just weren't fixing it. And then I was looking into adrenal fatigue. Um, you know, I could drink a pot of coffee and take a nap. I was so exhausted from the NARC relationship that, you know, I hadn't become suicidal, but had I died, that was okay with me. Um yeah. That's that's just where I was, and and I was just I would sleep days away, just complete whole days away, and not even move. And I'm a tosser and a turner, and I would just I wake up in the exact same position I fell asleep in 24 to 30 hours later. I just would completely shut down um, for periods of time. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? So did he fight, like, when you left? What was the sort of fallout? What did he do? Um, well, towards the end, I stumbled across the Grey Rock Method, not knowing that had a terminology or that's what I was doing. I had gotten so depleted of caring, of all emotional output, I, I had just gotten to a point where I didn't care if I triggered him. Yeah. I didn't care about anything. I had actually even sunk so low that I didn't care if it affected my kids, yeah. which you know, I feel bad about, but that's where I was. And I literally got a storage unit against his, you know, ty tyrannical display, and I had went and got it anyway. And because we were so cluttered, and um, I just started moving things out, and I blamed it on just having too much stuff, and we need to put it somewhere. We didn't have a garage, and I just wanted to organize and clean things up. And literally, he helped me move out. Um, uh, I mean, I had bought a 46 storage unit, and we had filled it up with some of his stuff, a lot of my stuff, and when when the Child Protective Services came, I told him that, you know, I'm protecting our kids by moving out, um, just getting them out of the situation, and that way they don't detain custody of the children. And so I did put the focus onto them and literally moved out from under his nose. He did know, though, he... I. I don't know what he said to himself because he saw me looking for apartments. 
You know, he watched me doing it, and I think he thought it was a big joke. I think he thought I would never actually do it. Um, And when I did actually do it, he had come over in a drunken fit, and I let him in like a fool. And um, he, his big thing was picking up one of the children and picking a fight with me because he knew I would just sit down. He knew I would not fight him back if he was holding a baby. And so that was his big deal is he would pick up my son when he was a baby and argue and fight with me. Or he picked up one of the twins as he, you know, shoved me to the ground and, and had this fight with me. And I literally begged and pleaded for him to put down the girl. I knew he was drunk. I could smell it. And um, he was convinced that he was entitled to be in my apartment. He, he literally convinced himself that I had just moved into an apartment to get out of the country because that's where we were, was, was out in a very remote location, and that it was just convenience and um, I didn't want to be there. Um, and that, you know, I just wanted to live in my, I don't know what he said to himself, but he literally thought that that was his apartment too, until I reminded him that my name was on the lease, and if he doesn't leave, I'm going to call the police. And he stormed out of there and um, left the phone I purchased him by the door and, and drove home. Um So that was the last time I had ever actually interacted with him before the divorce. He had left us alone for weeks at a time. We would not hear from him. Um, I remember six weeks going by with not even a phone call, which didn't bother me at all. Um, I had actually wished he found somebody else. I, I really wished. And knowing what I know now, that's, you know, is really sad because I wouldn't wish a narcissist on my worst enemy, but I did wish that there was somebody else diverting his attention. Um, And so a good year went by of just once in a while a phone call. He never asked about the kids. It was never about the kids. It was more, can I look this up on the computer? He was very technologically um, inept. Um, and so, you know, can I help him file his tax return? Just little business type things he would call me about, never asking about the kids. And I never forced the kids onto him. Um, and then I believe, um, see, he's a chiropractor. That's how we met. And so I believe some of his patients started asking about the kids. And I think that that is how his narcissistic persona was challenged because they're used, they were used to seeing the kids in a good long time, about a year and a half, year, year and a half had gone by. I was content to stay legally married to him. I was not going to ruffle those feathers, rock that boat. I was fine with legally keeping things the way they were. Um, and I think his patient started asking him and his story to them wasn't making sense. And of course, I'm sure he made himself out to be the victim. Um, And so literally it was one of his patients that started this legal war. Um, 
she was very involved. She's a married woman. I, I still to this day don't understand what her vendetta was, but um, when it came down to, okay, let's just settle this out of court, he's like, no, I need to fight. And it didn't matter what I said. I tried to appeal to his logic. I tried to um, not coerce him, but just sort of just appeal to rationality. Um, and he just wasn't having it. He needed to fight. He needed to go to court in a public forum and, and hold his head up high. And it was obviously a show for his patients. Um, he continually referred into court about his public reputation as a doctor, quote, unquote. I mean, he's yeah. constantly repeating that. And I'm like, you're not even fighting me. You're fighting. You're, you're fighting something, but it's not even me you're fighting because you don't really understand what you're doing. Well, that's um, right. That's right. And for a narcissist to give in and, and agree and play by the rules with you, well, means that they're relinquishing control. They just... You know, high oh, yeah. conflict personalities want to fight. And as you said, he wasn't even really interested in the kids. This was all no. about was all about uh, narcissistic image, sadly. Oh, absolutely. And he had often told me during the seven years we were together never to call the authorities. Um, and he would constantly refer back to his reputation in the community. Yeah. So I knew that image and reputation... Um, were a big deal to him. Um, he insisted his patients, a lot of people would say, you know, just coin the term, what's up, doc? And he hated that. He would insist on being called doctor because he went to school and he got his doctorate and I'm Dr. Nelson. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah. But goodness. I'm doctor. Yeah, and, goodness, goodness. Yeah, and somebody with, you know, like a, a reasonably healthy self-esteem wouldn't even bat an eyelash at that. No, many, I've met quite a few chiropractors and they don't mind normally that you're called, you know, they call people by their first name. It's it's not, you don't, you know, no. normally introduce yourself as doctor so-and-so. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So when did you discover that he was a narcissist? This, is, this gets to be even funnier. Um... He had, through his war in court, which started January 2011, in November, November 30th, 2011, he had um, brought me into court under emergency hearing because he thought we were moving just across town into a bigger apartment. We were upgrading um, where we were living. And during a, a phone call, my, my son had mentioned we're packing. <laughs> and rather than ask me what we're packing for or what we're doing, instead of just discussing it with me, he had filled out documents and um, brought me into court under emergency hearing to keep me in the state. I wasn't leaving the state. Um, and that... Uh, he had gone on and demanded a psychological evaluation. Um, he had even insulted the commissioner. Um, wasn't a judge, but a commissioner. But this was no commissioner fresh out of school. This this commissioner um, had had foregone promotion to judgeship 
so that he could stay in the community. I, I kind of know his background. I researched anybody that had anything to do with my case. So he was a commissioner by choice, and um, my narcissist in court says, I know you're just a commissioner, and I can find a judge to overrule your decision. And, I mean, I, I just forgot the English language. I sat there in just absolute awe that he did that. And the, the commissioner was just completely blown away. But he had demanded this custody evaluation by this psychologist who was a um, well-known in the community um, as a human lie detector. These were his words exactly. And um, so anyway, um, I had wanted to know who this person was. The judge had ordered it. And so I immediately did research on who the psychologist was that was going to determine the fate of my children. And I came across his blog. And he had, he was an amateur, I mean, an amateur blogger, not an amateur doctor, but he had just started this little blog. And the first two entries were about um, bipolar disorder, personality disorder. And the first entry was about narcissistic personality disorder. And it just so happened to be posted on my NARC's birthday, November 14th. And I thought, okay, what is what is this? And what he had written about was like, this is him. Oh my God, what is this? What is narcissism? And my go-to was Facebook, and so I had typed in narcissistic abuse, and there pops up narcissistic abuse recovery, which was absolutely, you know, what I was looking for: recovery from this type of abuse. And that's how I found you. Um, was right there on Facebook, just through this psychologist that my narcissist demanded in court. And so it was just poetic justice and more of that divine intervention that I'm here. And it was all because of the narcissist. Oh, wow. And isn't it incredible when you realize and you tick the points off and you think, oh, thank goodness, there's something that, this, and then sometimes it's just a massive shock too because, and we think, where, where were we not even knowing that this existed before now? I can't tell you how many times I've actually heard the word narcissism. Yeah. You think of the conceited individual who's stuck on facing himself in the mirror, and I, I think it's funny when, you know, not, I mean, I, I just... It's kind of funny that that's the first image people get when you think of that word because a true personality disordered person can't look at themselves, period. They can't look at themselves and see, you know, is it me? Is there something going on with me? Could I be improved? Is there something? I mean, they don't do any self-reflecting whatsoever, and so... I've always thought of a narcissist just like you do, Narcissus, the one who, you know, was situated with himself. Um, so I've heard of boundaries and I've heard of narcissism, but it just has a whole new meaning when you've lived it and experienced it. And you feel very alone because people just don't understand um, they've maybe seen some red flags in individuals that they don't know what it is they're seeing. They just don't like it and walk away. Um, but to really understand the dysfunction 
is almost something that you can't read in a book that will have any meaning to you unless you've lived it. Um, when I found your blog or your Facebook page, it was immediate relief. I felt home. Like that word actually had meaning. I didn't feel like a black sheep anymore. I didn't feel like I was the problem or there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. Um, except that I didn't have any boundaries and this, I let this person in my life. Um, it was a huge boulder off of me to know I'm not crazy. Um, there are other people suffering. This is what it's called. Um, this is how you can deal with it, like the no contact or modified contact. Um, there were tools. Oh, my God, this was just amazing to me. Um, the feeling of just not feeling so alone. And it's it when we're with the medieval insult. I'm sorry? When, we, when we're with the medieval insult, you know, it all gets together oh. back. And we think it's that. Uh, everything. I was, in fact, he would tell his patient, um, his quote was, I didn't know anything, but I'm still a good woman. I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know how to clean. I didn't know how to keep house, but I'm a good woman. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of um, there was a lot of belittling um, going on. I was always mortified and embarrassed. Um, I was definitely a focal point um, to redirect attention when we were out in public. I was definitely a pincushion, um, so to speak. And then um, if we ever did get in an argument in the morning, God forbid, I'd have to go to work for an eight-hour day. And when I got home, I came home to a legal-sized notepad with an outlined argument. And the, the argument would literally just continue on as if eight hours had not passed by. And this time, he had time to sit down and outline his response or his argument against me, and I was exhausted from the day. And so I, that's what I would always walk into is just, I mean, he had all day to sit there and formulate this argument in his head, and I would come home after a whole different life outside in the world and just walk into this pre-planned, pre-prepared argument all the time. And then he would draw on my parents' said. Um, I believe that's what we refer to as the triangulation. And he would draw on things my parents said and bring them into things. Uh, you know, see, your parents even feel this way about you. I mean, look, you quit college, you know, and just go on. And next thing I know, I'm just, everything is my fault. I can't do anything right, nothing at all. I can't even raise children correctly, you know. I can't fold clothes correctly. I can't cook. I can't clean. You know, with criticism is a massive thing. It's a massive thing, and that um, a third third party ally information is is an absolute trademark of narcissism. Yeah. You know, normal people might, in context, say that once in a blue moon, but narcissists are famous for using that. But your mother says this about you. Your father says it. They're always dragging in other people. Um, yeah. it's, it's, and they all do it. It's a really, really big thing. So, Marie, 
Well, first of all, you know, why did you decide to do the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Program? And then when you started working it and doing the inner shift work, what did you find? I decided to do the Narcissistic Recovery Program because it made sense. I didn't, okay, so there are other Facebook groups and forums that discuss narcissism, what it is, and, and even there's a camaraderie um, and fellowship in um, a lot of that. And, and they were helpful in the beginning to help define it and to help, of course, not feel alone. Um, but I didn't want to stay there. That wasn't my identity either. I did not want to focus on this person um, and the victimhood. And so when when I had really researched NARC, it made sense to me. It was literally the way to get past all of that. I mean, it's, it's great at first to spend time in those forums and really understand what gaslighting is, triangulation, um, narcissism, you know, bipolar disorders. I mean, it's, it's great to, to feed my brain and our vocabulary even to, to build on, um, being able to label these things that were happening, that happened to us, that we're still feeling. But it was burning me out even more. And um, I wanted, to, I desperately wanted to get past all of that for my kids. My my thing was I wanted to break these this chain of dysfunction. I wanted it to stop with me, and I did not want to pass it on to my children. And the code of conduct in NART makes sense to me. Um, it is also very unique considering all of the other forms out there that don't have, you know, it's great to identify, it's great to even explain what the problem is, but be seeking an answer and a solution. Let's not stay there. Um, that was the breath of fresh air. I did have a little guard. I know that I listened to a Thriver story not recently, or just recently, where I had the same concerns that it was a bit new agey. I was afraid that I was getting away from the Lord who very clearly seemed to have saved me from being stuck out there in the country, being completely isolated um, with this narc. And so I wanted to be sure that I wasn't, you know, going into something else. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, just repeat that last bit again, Marie. Hello, have we got you? Oh, I think Marie's just dropped again, so that's okay, we'll get her back. Let's see. Okay, I think this has got a little bit to do with... Reception seems to be good here. Hi! Hi. Yay! We got you what back here, keep going. What is the last thing you heard? The last thing was that you were a little bit concerned that you were getting away from your beliefs. Yes. I was just concerned that um, this was, in fact, um, new aging. Yep. Are you there? 
Yes, I can hear you. Keep going. Uh oh. Melanie, can you hear me? Yeah, I've got you. Can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you. Great. All right. All right. Um, my my concerns at first, it didn't last very long. Um, but I was concerned that this was new agey, um, that this didn't, you know, that maybe it was even a temptation away from my spiritual beliefs of, you know, Christianity. But um, it made sense to me. And, um, you know, you had put on, um, you had put a post that, you know, the first 10 people who respond can get NARC, the NARC modules for free. And I thought, well, geez, you know, this is no money out of my pocket. I couldn't afford a dime at the time. And I thought, I'm going to try it. I don't want to be stuck here, and I'm not going to just sit here and wonder, you know, um, if I could have done it and didn't. I wasn't going to do that to myself, so... Um, the first module I had listened to, obviously module one, I was just so, I, I believed in it, but nothing happened because I think I was just trying too hard and I was, I don't know, expecting, I was just expecting something and so I had literally listened to the first three modules um, and, and I dry, I've done the, the actual um, work with it as well. And um, I had fallen a little bit away from it because there was some more turmoil happening in court. And so obviously that was setting me off, triggering me left and right. I mean, um, the worst time of the day is between midnight and 3 a.m. when things really just haunt you. And And then I said, you know what? I put on a module, and as soon as the first release happened, that's all I would remember. And that would happen for about a year. Um, I'd literally do the first release and pass out from absolute exhaustion. And many times I woke up to the music at the end, but felt just tremendously better. And so for a long time, that was how I did NARP. You were my lullaby. Um, I mean, as soon as I would hear your voice, it was instant comfort. And we would we would do the focus, and then we would do the release, and that would be it. I was out cold. And so that's how you got me through the last, I don't know, six to eight months of court um, was you were just my lullaby. Every night I would put on, I think it was just module one, and it didn't matter at the time which module it was because as soon as I did the first release with you, that was it. I was instantly comforted and out cold. And so I've only probably in the last, I'd say about four or five months, been able to get, not, not even just able, but I didn't, I wasn't so wound tight that I would pass out at the first, you know, release. So I was able to actually get some of the work done. Wow. Yeah. Like, and, and because there's three big releases in the session, sometimes people only get through one, sometimes they get through three, sometimes they repeat that module three times over. It's a really personal experience. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what did you discover about your inner program when you started releasing and up leveling your inner identity? What did you realize? Oh, I realized 
the narcissist was just a symptom to a much bigger problem. Um, in fact, um, I'd say the last six to eight months um, hasn't even been about the narcissist. Um, it's been diving into why things are triggering me. Why am I, you know, getting upset at little things my kids do? Or um, I have discovered that I had no boundaries. I didn't even know how to establish boundaries. I discovered where. I don't know if you can, are you there? Yes, I can hear you. I get a little window that says we have no connection, so I just wait for it to be over. <laughs> Um, uh, no, it's all good. I I just, you know, I first heard you talk about, and, and I'm sure it was stuff that I read too, because I read everything that you had for free. I, I, I had heard you say that the narcissist, um, someday you'll thank, um, you'll be thankful for the narcissist in your life. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. Um, I'm there. I am so thankful because my eyes are so wide open. Um, I see toxic people. I have boundaries now. I love my boundaries. Um, I always felt guilty for saying no or um, enforcing a boundary. And I rejoice in boundaries. Um, that's, that's been the biggest thing. Um, diving into my family's origin, um, which, you know, I think was the bigger problem. Past the narcissist, I mean, I, there's a reason that narcissist came in your life for some reason. You allowed it for some reason. And another big thing was, I did this to myself. You know, I let this person do these things and I stood for it and justified it and minimized the trauma and um, and I think that's where a lot of people get really hesitant and scared maybe of really doing that inner reflection because they don't want to see that it was their fault and I'm not saying it's always your fault but I see now my responsibility in all of it um, and I've even you know gone past that and have seen why I let those things happen and I'm still doing that. I'm still going back and things are still coming up and I'm having to release them or journal them. Um, so that's where I'm still kind of a work in progress. Mm, are we never going to stop being a work in progress of developing and evolving ourselves? Right. And children will bring out... Oh, absolutely. I've only got one and I know how that works. I love <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, I have the only set of twins in my family, and I thought, wow, what did I do? Because <laughs> they, they will, they will bring you down to your most primitive person too, and and they really challenge how you react to things and where it comes from. Children are our teachers, and I love, and that's so true. It's the most important people in our lives that are going to reflect to us our undeveloped parts. You know, and um, with NARC, especially with NARC, because I have identical twins, um, which is just a personal irony, just 
in and of itself. I've always been, you know, the whole individuality, and I know with identical twins, you have that delicate balance where they are twins and they should embrace it, but how to foster individuality and how, I mean, this has really been a lot of work for me is to teach them how to be individuals, but how to embrace the duality and then how to have, teach them how to have boundaries while I'm still learning them myself. Um, so I'm constantly, it's like walking around having a mirror showing me, okay, I dropped the ball here or I did really well here and I, I'm teaching one of my girls who's obsessed with the other one how to love herself and honor herself and be proud of her accomplishments and stop comparing her to her sister. Yeah, so NARP has been a lot more to me than just the narcissistic abuse. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm really chopped again, but you are. That Well, it's beautiful, Marie, because we're always teaching what we most need to heal ourselves. That's what true teachers are, and it is oneness. We're developing ourselves and we're developing other people in our environment and helping them up-level as well, and I love that. It's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So I would not have a clue. I would not have a clue how to do that um, myself, had it not been for NARP. Um, when I gave birth to them, uh, the reason I stayed pregnant and I had nowhere to go, and then as soon as I gave birth to twins, I was stuck there for about a, another six to eight months, and I was terrified. Uh, I didn't know why, but I was just terrified, and it had a lot to do with my own individual issues. I, I didn't. I wasn't an individual at all. And how am I going to teach identical twins to be individuals and reinforce that with other people? And so, um, NARP has been much more than just recovery from narcissistic abuse. Mm, that's beautiful. So, what's happened since doing the inner work in your life? What are the differences in your life now? Um, I love being home, alone even. Um, I love not leaving my house. I'm okay with just being home and being by myself and planting flowers and just not having a plan for the day. And, and um, I love that, you know, I can go days without um, my phone ringing and I'm okay with that. That used to drive me crazy. I always needed to be doing something or talking to somebody. Some Something needed to be happening to me or I needed to go find something to happen to me. And that is gone. Um, I get to make a home in my house, which I've never been able to do. Um, it's just huge changes from going to where I, I constantly needed to be doing or saying or, or talking or being somewhere else, not being at home, to just being here and being absolutely positively okay, desiring it, craving it to just be home. 
And you've got a great relationship now with a with a lovely guy that your last two children, he's the father. So just yeah. 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 So just yeah, explain how he's different from the NARC. Um, well he listens for one thing. He doesn't mock me. Um he hears me from beginning to end. Um, he doesn't, if I am having some sort of emotional nervous breakdown, which tends to happen while you're pregnant, um, he doesn't react to it right away. Um, he, he's very good at sorting emotions from, you know, finding out if there really is an issue at hand. Um, we have very mature conversations. Um, he doesn't take lightly if I do find an issue, perhaps it's a boundary issue, which we've, we've had some bumps in the road. How it's handled is vastly different from what I've ever experienced. I'm not afraid of him. I don't walk around on eggshells. He doesn't make me feel the need to. He doesn't belittle me. He, in fact, in public, regardless of whether we're in the middle of a fight, um, or a disagreement, if you will. Um, he he builds me up to other people. Um, it, it's it's hugely different. It's it's what I would consider healthy. Um, we're able to talk about some very um, controversial things together. Um, we we agree on most most everything but we do have some fundamental differences and but they're not the definition of our they don't define our relationship we don't focus on them and try to bend each other um to you know our own viewpoint we respect them we just we respectfully disagree and we move on beautiful um, and that's so true isn't it is you don't want a partner to be a mirror mirror image of yourself right 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 Right. He has some different religious beliefs, um, and I love it, actually, because to find somebody, I've had um, some very, what they would define as devout Christians do some pretty nasty things to me, and it didn't sway my faith, but he does not share the same faith, and I find that so interesting, the way he has been able to... um, develop himself as an individual and be, um, he actually lives by Christian philosophies. Um, and um, it's remarkable. It's just really remarkable. Wow, that's beautiful. So what message, Marie, before we end up, what message do you have that you would like to, you know, you as a thriver, you're on the thriver story, what would you like to share with people that you know can help them? Um, to not stay stuck, to, to go out and find out what a narcissist is or other personality-disordered individual, to acquire the vocabulary and the knowledge, but don't stay stuck there. Um, it doesn't define you. Don't let it define you as a person. Um, let it be what it is, and that is a very powerful experience that you got to experience. Look at it as 
um, a treasure because you can't pay for the um, learning lessons anywhere. You can't possibly. There are so many people walking around asleep in this world, and a narcissist will wake you right up. Just don't stay in, you know, the fellowship of um, of just. I don't even know how to describe it. Um, just don't stay in that rut. Look past it. Find out why this narcissist came into your life. Why you allowed it to stay there. And don't be afraid of that answer. Um, know that there is a solution to that answer. And it doesn't have to be a traumatic solution. Um, there's definitely growth in that solution. And don't be afraid of it. Absolutely. Well, it's been just, you, you've been a wonderful person to have on because I think it really normalises stuff for people to, you know, children and, and kids and what you've went through in the codependency and, and it was a journey. You did go through a journey. I saw it for quite some time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still yeah. going. <laughs> well, our journey's never going to stop. Yes, my, my journey is now focused on family of origin and, you know, I've had to really evaluate, um, you know, when your foundation is non-existent, you know, your family of origin, um, you know, as I said to um, one of my, my brother who, you know, ha- had some traumatic experiences himself, you know, I didn't stand a chance to make a healthy choice in relationships. I just didn't stand a chance. I never had boundaries, so I don't even know what they are to be violated. And so, um, um, you know, dive in deeper. Don't be afraid of what's inside you and just um, embrace it. Release it. Embrace the growth. Embrace the new person and just don't be afraid. And it is such a difference when we can not just be stuck in the psychological story because a lot of that goes on too. Okay, well, I know why I'm like this and I know why I've got that. But it's the true inner identity shifting that just can take us way past the stories into a whole different inner identity reality. And I think that's so important that we're not... Because otherwise, the the point is, we could be stuck in therapy for years on the one point and not be able to grow past that. It's funny that you you know mentioned that on on the Facebook website um, at some point in time, um, I somebody had mentioned CODA, which stands for Codependence Anonymous, and of course I Google that and I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm a codependent. And I mean, I'm an extreme codependent. And I had attended those meetings. I still do. Um, but I noticed with these 12-step programs, they get stuck on identifying the hurt we've caused and amending, you know, making amends. And where NARP is so different is you dive in deeper, so much deeper to change that pattern, whereas these 12-step programs, they teach you to identify the pattern and quickly 
you know, another coping mechanism or, or identify it and make amends for it. But to truly change the fundamental being inside of us, um, that's what you get with NARP. Um, I love my CODA meetings. I will still go. They've absolutely been, you know, a fellowship, like a, a face-to-face fellowship. Um, but I go in there many times and without actually dropping the name, um, I, I bring in NARP all the time. <laughs> all the time. And I get a whole table full of people just nodding their head. Yes, 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 that makes sense. Um, and they're just baffled by how I kind of just be there for two years and have so much growth. And, you know, I had one guy who stumbled on to narcissistic abuse, and I turned him on to NARP. And he's been battling. Um, his parents were, both parents were alcoholics. He's an only child. They call that a double indemnity, I guess. And I turned him on to NARP. I don't know. I haven't followed up with him. It's kind of a private thing. But... um I said, you know, if you really, I mean, this this is not a young man. He's been going to meetings for 30 years, and I said, you might want to try this. This might actually work for you. And so we'll see. Oh, that's awesome that you could put him on to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, Marie, we're nearly up to an hour, and it's just been amazing having you on, and I know a lot of people will really relate to your your honesty and your truth and that you're still on the journey and you know you're you're very very different inner identity you know who you are and where you are now i've seen you grow and you've done an incredible job working on yourself you really have so thank you so much for coming on marie thank you thank you gorgeous having you thank you you're welcome all right and have a good night and we'll talk again. You too. Bye bye. Bye, John. Bye. Well, everybody, I hope that you uh, really enjoyed Marie's story and you can really relate to it. And um, and uh, yeah, it, it is amazing. What and five children? I I can't get past that. That's just incredible. And what a great guy. Her partner took on three children as his own and worked with that and. You know, she's really growing and expanding. Marie's done a wonderful job and the kids are benefiting so much now, which is always so lovely to hear in the community when that's happening. So that's it from me, everybody, and I'll be back with a normal radio show and article next week. And um, and I'm off to enjoy a little bit more of Chiang Mai now. I can't wait to do that. Exploring and I'll be putting up photos on the Facebook page about that. So that's it from everybody. Bye-bye and lots of love. Bye-bye.